2 Timothy chapter 4, listen to the word of the Lord. I'm already being poured out like a sacrifice to God, and the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. At last, the champion's wreath that is awarded for righteousness is waiting for me. The Lord, who is the righteous judge, is going to give it to me on that day. He's giving it not only to me, but also to all who have set their heart on waiting for his appearance. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul knows his time is near, and he says these words that are so fascinating. I've done it. I've done it. I didn't bail on Jesus. I kept my assignment. I've served God with integrity. I've, well, he says the three metaphors. I've fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. Apparently, faithfulness to God is war. And if it's running the, the, finishing the race, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a distance run. Endurance is required. Marines, Navy SEALs rather, when they go through what they call hell week, do you know this? Hell week? The week where they're awake five days in a row and it's constant pain, torturous suffering. I read somewhere that when your body and everything in you says, I'm done, I can't take another step, you're at about 40% of your capacity. Endurance. Apparently way more. There's days when I tell myself that, when I'm out jogging, and my blood sugar's crashed, and I, <laughs> I go, I can't do it. And I'm concerned about just walking home. I try to remember the, these Navy SEALs. But life is a war, fought the good fight. Faithfulness to Jesus is warfare. And he says, I fought the war. I didn't back down. Remember what Ephesians says? Our battle's not with flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle and we need spiritual weapons. And then after he lists all the armor, he says, after you've done everything, to stand. Whatever you do, don't, don't, don't flee. Whatever you do, don't quit, in other words. Whatever you do, don't quit, endure, just stand. You say, I can't fight anymore. Okay, but just stand. Hold the line. Hold the line. You know what happens when people don't hold the line, right? If you flee, you lose. The Spartans were the example in ancient history of 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 a group of warriors that refused to quit there were 300 little Spartans at the bottle of battle, the bottle, the Battle of Thermopylae against millions of the of the enemy. They sent out a scout. The scout comes back and he goes, "Oh my word! When they shoot a volley, their arrows are so numerous they block out the sun." And one of the generals who heard this said, "Good, then we'll have our battle in the shade." One thing they were never going to do is surrender. To die in an honorable cause is a good death. To surrender in miserable cowardice is failure. A Spartan mom would say to her son as, she, as he went away to war, he would, she would hand him his shield and say, either come back with this or on this. In other words, 
either win or die, don't you dare lose. Don't come back in defeat at all. If you, no son of mine will surrender. To the last man, you die. If you have no arms, you bite. And that's true. They would. They'd be biting at your neck until they bleed out on the ground. And they saved Western civilization, bottlenecked them in a, in a tight pinch spot where the 300 were able to hold them off in time to get news to the other armies of Greece, is it? And they saved Western civilization, a lot of people think, with that. But what, what, I'm, what am I saying? I have fought the good fight. Sometimes that means we're winning, but sometimes it means we're just simply standing. We're not quitting. We're refusing. To die fighting is winning. Faithfulness is war. He, I finished the race. It's endurance. It's endurance. And Paul says, I've never, I didn't quit. I didn't bail on Jesus. I didn't bail on my core commitment. I didn't bail on my calling. I keep laying down my life, laying down my life, laying down my life. No matter what, I'm laying down my life. And I've done it. My life's being poured out as a drink offering to God. Remember I talked about that a few weeks back. Some, in the, by worldly standards, someone who's pouring out their life as a drink offering is wasting it on the ground. Wasting it right there on the ground. Somebody could have had that. What are you doing? You could have done this. You could have made so much money. You could have bought all this property. You could have married this beautiful girl. You could have gone here. You could have traveled. You could have done this, that, and the other. You didn't have to pay such a high price. But from a divine perspective, the Lord was pleased by those sacrifices. If the world approves of you, worldly wisdom, that doesn't mean anything. It's okay if people like you if Jesus likes you. But it's also okay if people don't like you, if Jesus likes you. Everything minus Jesus is nothing. And Jesus plus nothing is everything. I have kept the faith. Well, that is fascinating. That implies, that implies that staying in faith, in a posture of faith, fidelity with God is challenging. Just Staying faithful, basic Christian faithfulness is hard. It's hard. Sometimes, sometimes we, have such, we start our lives as young people with such huge dreams for what we're going to do for God with our life. We just assume we're going to keep the faith. But actually to keep the faith is something that's very important, but also difficult and more rare than we think. To keep the faith. You didn't give away with, with heresy. You didn't give it away with your personal life being a disaster. You didn't walk away from obedience. It takes, it takes a, I'm going to say three things. It takes, keeping the faith involves a life lived with integrity. It involves a heart that stays in close to Jesus. And it, and it involves your beliefs staying faithful to the truth of Jesus as well. All those things. Let's move on. Jesus is going to give Paul, he says, a victor's wreath, a victor's wreath for righteousness. Now, it doesn't really make sense if, if he's getting a victor's wreath for the gift of righteousness that Jesus gave him at the beginning. I think this is talking about a life of walking in righteousness. And some people think that's not a thing. They really do. Again, I've said this so many times. Some people think Christians are just sinners who are forgiven, no different from the world, and that the righteousness Jesus gives us is 
uh, just an external pretend game he plays in heaven. I'm, that's what some people believe. I, I call it a white cat, a cat turd that's been dipped in a can of white paint. Yeah. That's what some people seem to think a Christian is. When what I think a Christian is, is someone who, yes, has been forgiven, and no, they're not perfect, but the nature of Jesus has taken hold. The nature of Jesus has taken hold. It's not a, it's not a pretend game God's playing. He's put his nature in us. He's given us new desires, a new heart, new wants, new dreams, new likes, new dislikes, new appetites. He's made me a new creation. I'm not the old person anymore. I'm not just a sinner. I was a sinner. That's why Jesus died. He's made me a saint. Does that mean I am sinlessly perfect? Of course not. There's much more to grow into, but I'm not what I was. And when I sin... My spirit goes, ew, that's not who you are. You are acting out of alignment with who God has made you, right? Okay, let's, 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 here's, here's the whole message. Here's the outline of the real message. That was preface. A baseline for finishing well. What does it look like to finish well? What kind of baseline would needs to be in place so that when you stand before Jesus, you get a well done? It could involve a lot of things. We could probably talk for like a month about what we think finishing well should look like or could look like. You could individualize it for each person in here because every single one of us is unique, made different, has a different story, has a different assignment, has different gifts. We could write a book for each one of us for what it looks like for us to finish well. So if I could draw it back to what's common to everyone, I'm going I'm to go with three things. Finishing well includes at least, number one, maintaining your love for God. Your whole life. Just ma- maintaining your love, your love for God. Not just your duty, not just your commitment, your love for God. Number two, Finishing well involves living your life with integrity. That's a baseline. And number three, finishing well involves fulfilling whatever ministry assignment Jesus has given you. Those three things, right? Is that simple enough? Maintain your love for God. Walk in integrity and fulfill your ministry assignment. Now, I didn't say nothing about all 100 other things we could talk about that, that would be true and would be good, but I'm trying to simplify it down because I've been at these funerals and I've been processing people's lives and, and it just feels real fresh and new. It's like, whoa, life short. My aunts and uncles, they were my age three seconds ago when I was the kid just eating the pies in the pie-eating contest and running the three-legged race and all the adults did the stuff for us so we'd have fun. I'm their age now. And I'm the one, well, actually, mostly my wife. The, the amount of work that my wife does for our kids is, is outrageous. And uh, if I tried to do what she's, if I said, I'll do it, babe, everything she's doing, I would probably, I was going to say pull out my hair. That doesn't, that doesn't work. <laughs> 
But three seconds from now, I'm going to be the old guy sitting in the chair that doesn't do anything hardly anymore. It just shows up, is, is, is brought to the event. And hopefully I, I'm nice. You know, sometimes when people get old, they get grumpy. Yeah, are they in pain or is life really that hard? I have prayed about that. I do not want to be that grumpy old guy, but it'd be so easy to. Because you know how natural it is for us to look around at the world and say that it's getting worse and worse? Guys, I, I read in the book of Ecclesiastes, that is not wise. They did. It says that. The book of Ecclesiastes says, it is not good to look around and go, it was better when I was young. The world's going, getting worse and worse. This is not wisdom. The Bible says that's not wisdom, but I'll, guess, I'll tell you what it is. Totally normal. So three seconds from now, it's going to feel like I'm going to be that old guy. Hopefully, I'm still like a source of joy to the people coming after me and hope and a guide for them. Let's get back to the message. Number one, maintain your love for God. The distinctive that Abraham brought to the world is monotheism. Three major world religions based on a dude who said yes. Hey, Abraham. What? I'm hearing a voice. What's this? Yeah, okay. I'm God. Hi. Leave everything you've ever known. Go to a land I'm going to show you later. You get no details. Just go. What? Later. Okay. Good job. Good job. Uh, walk with me. Walk with me. I'm your treasure. I'm your great reward. I'm going to give you children, more children than the stars and the sand. What are you talking about? I ain't got no kids. Do you believe me? Yes. And because he believed, he became the father of many nations. And from him, Jewish people, Muslim people, Christian people. I, I, I'm, I, I'm of the opinion that the Christians have the best revelation and the most light. I'm very biased because I'm, I'm 100% convinced Jesus is the Messiah. That all Jewish people should follow. Um, uh, I, let's not get off on the tangent. But my point is monotheism is one of the distinctives of our faith. There is one God. All these other gods that everyone, all the nations have been worshiping, they're not good and they're not even real. And sometimes they are real, but they're not gods. They're fallen angels playing games with people. In other words, they're gods with a little g. Paul doesn't say they don't exist. He just says they're not really gods. They're so-called gods, which means they might exist and have power and be able to do stuff, but it's manipulative and it's not good for people. The true God is the real God. Monotheism. There is only one God. That's monotheism of the head, right? I believe there's only one God. What we've been called to is so much deeper. Anyone can believe there's only one God. What does James say about Satan? The devil knows there's only one God, but knowing there's only one God doesn't do anything for him. He believes and shudders, trembles. So what we're after is not just monotheism. We want monotheism of the heart. The end of 1 John says, Beloved, keep yourself from idols. 
Keep yourself from idols. And in the ancient world, everywhere you went, there were statues to various gods. You couldn't go to the market. It's like you couldn't go to Kroger's to pick up hamburgers without those hamburgers having been devoted to some god. The, you know, the, the cow was offered to some god, bled out, then they brought the meat to market. So Christians had to figure out, am I allowed to eat that or not? But what I'm saying is there were false gods everywhere. So for, for John to say, keep yourselves from idols, in that context, we go, oh, well, that makes sense. But does that really apply to us today? What does it mean for God to be your God? It means he's the one you worship, he's the one you reverence, he's the one you trust, he's the one your life is oriented around as your, if you're a solar system, he's the sun, he's the gravitational center around which your life fully revolves. So monotheism, I believe there's one God, is different from monotheism of the heart, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I trust this. I love this God. I believe this God. Everything in my life revolves around this God. Anything in my life that causes me to be distracted from God or love God less is my enemy. Which means anything in my life could be an idol. If I'm trying to draw identity, strength, peace, hope, joy from it, instead of from him. Anything can be an idol, which is why all the gods of the ancient world, each of them was devoted to a different thing. The goddess of war, the goddess of fertility, the god of the sea. Everything could be a god, which is why everything had a god. And it's true today. We're called to maintain our love for God our whole life. And that takes carefully keeping our heart in God's presence and carefully allowing our loves to come under the light of God's word and his spirit. Because it's not just about whether there's a rule, is it right or wrong? It's about how my soul's connecting to it. Nothing wrong with baseball, but baseball could be an idol. Nothing wrong with Netflix, but Netflix could be an idol. Nothing wrong with... Ministry, but ministry could be an idol. Yes, yes. Anything can be an idol. Yes. To maintain our love for God our whole life has to do with monotheism of the heart. David's legacy. You remember David in the Old Testament? Yes. Saul was rejected yes. because he wanted to offer sacrifices to the Lord, but didn't want to reverence God's voice. He's at church, he's doing the church thing, he's doing the Bible study thing, but when it really comes down to it, the voice of God. So here comes the prophet, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Take away these offerings. I'm not interested in offerings, I'm interested in obedience. And you go, what are you talking about? You're not interested in offerings, you're the one who set up the whole system. What is he saying? More than anything, I want your heart. I want your heart more than anything. Yes, I want your hands. Yes, I want your head. Yes, I want your time. But I want your heart. Can you imagine if, if you're in a marriage and you go out for a date and they can tell you don't like them 
and you're not having any fun, and you'd rather be everywhere else but there. But you're, but you're there out of duty. Can you imagine going in to kiss your wife on Valentine's Day or your anniversary? Because you have to, not because you want to? What kind of kiss is that? Uh, that's a dry kiss right there. That's not a good kiss. You, you know, the good kisses make the children get upset and leave. Oh. Yeah. I don't know about that. Dad, gross. Get your hands off my mom. I grew up seeing that stuff in the kitchen, and I'd be like, Dad's copping a feel in the morning. I don't know what's going on around here, but... Is that appropriate to say in church? Probably, actually. We probably need to redeem sexuality, because, like, what in the world? It's it's weird. I'm not even going to tell you about what I feel about what our culture is doing right now. Let's move on. But David, David, unlike Saul, was a man after God's own heart. Saul would show up for church, but David would show up in the field when no one was around to seek God's presence. When no one was around. No one was there but him and God and them sheep. Well, and some lions and bears that got killed. And why did they get killed? Because he knew his God was with him and he was able to defeat the lion and the bear in private when no one was around, which is why he was able to defeat the giant in public when everyone was around. If we'll take care of our integrity, God will take care of our reputation. And honestly, guys, if we'll take care of our intimacy, the Lord will even take care of our integrity. There's stuff that it's wrong to do and we all know it's wrong to do, but if we don't have a genuine affection and love for Jesus, knowing it's wrong isn't going to be enough to stop us. Man, I, I tried to quit smoking for years. Didn't work until, until Jesus was involved. And it wasn't because he touched me and boop, it went away. It was because I wanted to please him. I wanted nothing more in my life than to bring pleasure to him and to bring displeasure to him mattered you know, maintaining your love for God your whole life. The Ephesian church in the book of Revelation, they were doing everything right. They didn't fall into heresy. They were able to identify which one was false teachers and false apostles. They were, their labor in the Lord, they were hardworking, you know. If they were in our church, they'd be serving in the clothing connection. You know what I mean? They're faithful. They were faithful. But, but Jesus says there's one thing you're missing. Remember how? Remember how it was at the beginning? Can you get back to that? No, you haven't strayed off into sin. Yes, you're still doing the stuff I said to, but you're not meaning it. You know, you, 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 you've lost the thing that made it fresh, the love, the first love. Can you get back to your first love? And I love how easy he makes getting back to the first love. Do the things you did at first when you were in love and the love comes back. Oh, one thing, Luke chapter 7, Mary at his feet. Luke chapter 11, Mary at his feet. Luke 7, pouring expensive fragrance, a year's worth. Which, by the way, I'm a fragrance guy. I, I, I like old school 70s and 80s masculine fougeres. In other words, stuff the kids nowadays would turn their nose up and go, what now? Gross. I want that salvage. That's the big one right now. 
But she put a fragrance on Jesus that cost a full year's salary, y'all. If you go over to Chanel, you go, go over to the Chanel counter, and they're charging 120 bucks, and you go, that's too much for me. Go over to Mary's counter, and she's charging 57,000 bucks. Hmm? What? And then she opens the whole thing, pours the whole thing on Jesus. That's first love, y'all. And then, in, and then in, later in the same, in, in the book of Luke, she's sitting at his feet, listening to what he has to say, and Martha's freaking out about all the stuff that needs doing. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing. There's nothing wrong with doing. If you're walking with Jesus, he did a lot of doing. But there's something wrong with doing in your own mind and in your own strength and in your own will instead of out of intimacy with Jesus. What good is it to make a whole bunch of sandwiches Jesus didn't order? <laughs> Questions that I'm going to leave you with on that on maintain your love for God. How do we maintain our first love? How do we maintain our first love? Question two, there's a, a verse in Song of Songs that says, catch the little, little foxes. Catch the little foxes that are ruining the vineyard, that are spoiling the vineyard. What are the little foxes that spoil the vineyard of your closeness with God? What are the little foxes? And I don't mean in general. I mean you, in your life. What are the little foxes in your vineyard? that are wanting to steal, interrupt, disrupt, break down, and make it not fruitful? What are those for you? And then the third little question I have on this is, do you have a keepable, keepable habit of daily conversation with God? Do you have a keepable? Don't be somebody else. I told you all about Francis Frangipane, or Wednesday night, I did. he gets up and reads six chapters of Mo Moses, and then a full psalm, and then two of Paul's letters, and then six chapters in a gospel, and then, I, I, and he says, if you can't do as much, maybe do as little, and I go, if you mean, if I can't do as much, bro, what are you talking about? And lays all, out all, lays all of his translations out on the floor in front of him, gets on his knees, because you've got to reverence the word, and it's, it's a five-hour deal. That's not keepable for most of you, right? I mean, well, if you go for it if that's you. But do you have a keepable habit of daily conversation with God? When is it? Don't give me a vague answer. I need a time on the clock. When is it? How will you be there? What will you spend that time doing? That's like saying, I feel like losing weight, but then you don't have a gym membership and you don't have a plan and you don't show up for the plan. It's just wishful thinking. It's not going to happen. Right? You can all smile and nod. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Discipline is the friend of passion. Huh. Okay. That was, the, that was all under the maintain your love for God. Finishing well involves maintaining your love for God. Second point. Finishing well means living with integrity. You know, Billy Graham lived with integrity. Huge public ministry. Ravi Zacharias, huge public ministry. We thought he lived with integrity. After his death, it came out that he had a whole history of sexual indiscretion, wicked, willful, hidden transgressions that eroded and dismantled 
his contributions to the kingdom and made the faith he spent his whole life seeking to build up and spread look ugly, unattractive, and not worth believing. Your integrity will either build up. So, so Billy Graham lived his whole life with integrity. Calm down. He, he, Billy Graham finished well. Yeah, he finished well. Ravi and Bill, Bill, both of them evangelists, both of them public defenders of the faith, both of them living in the, in the, in the view of the public. Man, I, I'm happy to fly under the radar, Jesus. Right? Because the higher you are, the brighter your rear end shines. That's a Johnny Cash quote that I cleaned up for you. Actually, it was, um, what's the classic country guy? Uh, uh, Hank Williams, senior, not junior. Told, told, told him that. There's some real great things about flying under the radar. I don't really want my life you know, gone through like with an archaeologist toothbrush and, and every little sin I ever committed, even if it was before Jesus, having that thrown up as the reason why. But you know what I'm trying to do? Live with integrity. So if the Holy Spirit tells you to stop and pick up the trash, stop and pick up the trash. Integrity, even in those little things, matters. If you exaggerate it and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you have to turn your car around and come back and get weird and embarrassing, I'm sorry, I said it was the best thing I ever saw. It wasn't the best thing I ever saw. It was just good. I don't know why I said that. I was being dramatic. Being, being real hard on yourself and real easy on others is a good plan. I don't mean hard on yourself like talk down to yourself. I mean holding yourself to the highest moral standards of truthfulness and integrity. And in your marriage, that means not just being faithful to your spouse with your body. That means being faithful to your spouse with your mind. Amen. I'm not going to lust after someone who isn't my spouse. And if I do, I'm going to shut that down. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to redirect. And I'm going to have a lot of sex with my wife. <laughs> because the Bible says that. Paul says, if you're married, have sex constantly. It says, don't say no to each other because you don't want to, the only way to say no, the only time to say no, says the Bible, is when you're setting aside special time for prayer and fasting. Because Paul knows these desires get pent up and when they're pent up, obedience in the secret place of your heart is harder than it would be otherwise. Did you know that? Jesus doesn't expect you to not have an outlet for the appetites he put in you for good reasons. And the reason he put a sexual appetite in those of you who called to marriage is to bond you with your spouse. To bond you with your spouse. That's what it's for. It's not just for your pleasure. It's to bond you with your spouse. That's what it's for. What's my point? My, my point is integrity. Integrity is an inside job. And if we live with integrity, it means we don't take advantage of people, we don't steal, we don't lie. We might think of those things as, oh, that's kind of bonus round, super Christian stuff. No, bro, that's basic Christian stuff. And when you don't do it, your kids and everyone whose life your life touches is torn down. When, when people don't live with integrity, remember we're sitting around the table talking about the Ravi Zacharias thing. 
And one of the people at the table says, well, that's just men. Men are going to be tempted. Women need to dress differently to keep track because men are just always going to be that way. And my dad says, woman, what? You got two men at the table right now who don't do those kinds of things and, and wouldn't. We live with integrity. We're faithful to our wives. We don't look at porn. We're not doing all that stuff. We're walking with integrity. And that's not bragging, by the way. That's just honest. That's just honest. So if you're thinking, oh, man, it's not even possible, it's totally possible. Our secret lives, according to Jesus, won't stay secret. They will affect everything we are and everyone connected to us. So if my secret life is sin, that's going to affect everyone connected to me, whether they know what's, why it's affecting them or not. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you don't have to know why your car doesn't work to be, to be affected by it. I don't know what's wrong with the car, but it ain't, something's wrong and it's making my life hard. It's working. Great. I don't have to know how it works. It's making my life better. It's, do, it's doing what it should. And, in, and secret integrity works just like that. You don't have to understand the details. I don't have to know the details of your secret life to know when I'm benefiting Jesus from you and when I'm not. Everyone your life is connected to is affected by your secret life for good or for bad. And Jesus said what is in secret won't stay secret, but it will be made known. A day's coming when it all comes out as the other thing. The day of the Lord. The Lord sees in secret, and on Judgment Day, we'll see what he sees. So, you know, it's going to be like Frodo's, uh, no, Fro who is it? Not Frodo, Bilbo's speech where he's like in public saying, I like half of you, twice as much as you deserve, you know. Oh. Get out of here, Tim. I want to finish this up. Questions. Questions. Is there, are there people in your life whose lack of integrity caused your faith to stumble? Are there people in your life that made Christianity harder for you to want to get behind and get on board with? About every four years, we get all political, and that does that to me. Question two. Are there people in your life that live with such an integrity that it makes the faith attractive and makes the world feel less meaningless? Isn't it amazing how people of integrity make this hard, dark, cold world just a lot easier to be in? It's my one of my favorite lines from Tombstone. Doc Holliday's on his, on his deathbed, and he says to Wyatt Earp that he's the most stubborn, obnoxious, bullheaded, pig-headed, ignorant man he's ever met. Yet withal, you're the only human being ever gave me hope. <laughs> I love that scene. That whole scene's beautiful. And then he looks down at his bare feet, poking out the sheets, and he goes, well, I'll be, this is funny. And then he dies. Good stuff. <laughs> Who has led a life of integrity that has helped you Trust God more and just made the world more meaningful, less chaos. And when I say this weary, dark world is a little brighter and lighter because you're in it, who do you think of right away? Final one, fulfill your ministry assignment. There's a verse in Colossians chapter 4 that says, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. See to it you complete the ministry yeah. 
that you've received from the Lord. A lot of us start the ministry we receive from the Lord. Midway through, we're going to need some exhortations to complete it. Because when the going gets tough, well, I was going to say losers quit, but um, uh, <laughs> that's true. You know, quitters have excuses and winners find a way. Your ministry assignment is custom tailored to fit you. Did you know that? There's no, there's no factory in heaven with callings coming out, all looking the same. It's not the gap. You don't walk in and go, a 34 doesn't fit me. It's not, it's not that way. It's tailored to you. It perfectly matches you. A few years back, I was praying over somebody, and it was Ephesians 2, which says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. How you like them apples? We are created, we are God's work, and we're created to work. We're designed to function. He made us to do stuff. And when we do that stuff, our soul and our spirit come alive. Like, I don't have a Mustang, but I imagine that when you put that sucker in third gear, you know what I'm talking about? And you put the pedal to the floor, there's some torque to it, and you go, that's why this baby's on the road. <laughs> and people's heads are in the, the headrest. I guess that's how Teslas are. No, for real, like a Tesla, those, those, those things are crazy. Zero to 60 in three seconds? What is it? Something cra crazy. They were designed, when, when you run that car that way, I don't care who you are, that's, that's a well-designed thing and it's working how it's supposed to. You were made to work a certain way and when you're in your pocket, when you're in your zone, when you're doing what Jesus made you to do, your spirit, everything's firing on all cylinders. Some of us are just like, oh, ministry, because we have it in our brain that to be devoted to Jesus means we're either going to be a what? A missionary or a pastor. And then back in my generation, or a pastor's wife. So if you're really devoted to Jesus, that's what it is. And I remember growing up telling God, basically, please don't send me to Africa. You know? We had a dude come and he was sharing the stories and he talked about, I'm going to say it in church, he talked about crap eating spiders, big old hole where the town goes to the potty, oh and these huge man-eating spiders, they weren't really man-eating, you know, fist-sized spiders line the side of the pit where they all take a potty. And he goes out after dark and shines his flashlight down there. It was Paul Kurtz telling the story. And the whole side of the thing was undulating with living spiders oh, that, were, gosh, that, were, that were disposing of the refuse. We'll say it that way. And stories like that make you say, pass, yeah. I'm out. I know, I Jesus, I'll do whatever else is on the list. Please don't send me to Africa. As though that's what all of Africa is like, you know what I mean? It's a whole continent, it's a huge... But that's the one story. And for me, it was India. Oh, mom and dad went to India and they came home and they're like, I took one bite of the food and it was so spicy, my head exploded. What are you talking about? They, so I told Jesus, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. You gave your life for me. You've given life to me. You're everything to me. You've given me grace. You've made me your son. You've forgiven all my sins. I'll do it, whatever it is, but not India. And for three nights in a row, he looked at me like this. Really? After what you just said I did and what you, what? 
How can you put a caveat, how can you put a dot, 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 but not India? Why are there footnotes? Why do you have any fine print, Tim? So I said, fine, even India. And that's where he took me, and that's where I met my wife, and that's where I got called to preach. So the one place I didn't want to go was the place where I figured out what I most wanted. Which is why it's a bad plan to be in charge of your own life. You think I grew up thinking, I'm going to marry a Mennonite girl. Dude, I was a skater punk. I was into grunge. I, I had like the, I wasn't a skater. I hung out with this. I, was, I, had the, I, I could never ollie. I couldn't get the board off the ground. It wouldn't be much of a skater if you can't even do a kickflip. The guys would drive by, do a kickflip. And I'd be like, uh, uh, help. But my point is, I didn't think I'd marry a Mennonite. Definitely didn't even want to be a Christian. And if I was a Christian, I didn't want to go to India. And I certainly, are you crazy, wouldn't want to be a pastor. I didn't even know if I wanted kids. That seemed like a major interruption to the day. Okay. So I was praying for this girl. And I was praying, praying Ephesians 2, where God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I got this vision of a Cinderella slipper. Remember how Cinderella slipper only fits her? That's how you know it's her. And I got this vision. I was praying over the calling on her life. And I got this vision of Cinderella slipper. And all of a sudden, I had a brand new idea that I've never had before. I've never had before, and now I can't get rid of. That said, oh my word, your calling is not bad news. The thing God called you to may be incredibly hard because we've been called to do hard things, amen? Amen. But that doesn't mean it isn't fun. That doesn't mean your soul isn't thrilled by it. That doesn't mean you don't come alive in it. That doesn't mean it's not your dream. Sometimes the dream doesn't look like what you thought. Let's get off this topic. (laughs) Questions. Well, I should say ministry assignments change with your season, stage of life, and so forth. Like your singleness might be an assignment. Your marriage might be an assignment. Parenting might be an assignment. A certain job might be an assignment. A location might be an assignment. And those might be temporary assignments. Questions. What do you most fear God might ask you to do? latrine assistant would be that that guy who used to deal with the spiders. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. What do you most fear God might ask you to do? And are you surrendered to the possibility that he actually might ask you to do that? Number two, what do you most wish God would call you to do? And who else knows about that? Have you talked to people who know God? Some of us really want to do something for God, but we think it's silly to ever have such hopes and dreams. Do you know what I'm talking about? We don't quite dare to hope. Well, if you don't dare to hope, you're probably not going to do the work to build the thing. Third question, how does it feel to replace Archippus' name with your name? Tell uh, Bunny. See to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Tell Pete, Pete, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. How does it feel to put your name in it? Cody, see to it you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Janae, 
See to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. He's called you to something. You're called to see it through. You're called to complete it. So there it is. Maintain your love for God. Live with integrity and fulfill your ministry assignment. Amen. Oh, how do you find your ministry assignment? Okay, there's two simple things that I would say are helpful. Some of us wish we were good at things we're not gifted at, that God hasn't gifted us for. Other people can help us eliminate those false positives, right? Just because you want to do a thing doesn't mean you're called to a thing. So there's a giftedness, not just a desire. And I would say when you find out where the world's needs and your passions and gifts come together, that's probably a good sweet spot. And, and that's a whole, Don, that's a great question and we could spend hours on it, but I'm going to give you that 15 second answer. <laughs>